Hi, I'm Rob, and welcome back to the Multi-Site Masters podcast. As the CEO of a technology company supporting the retail and hospitality sectors, I'm constantly fascinated by the stories I hear from people I encounter day to day. Hopefully you've found us because you share my passion for finding out what makes these industries, with their large bases of operations and geographically and culturally diverse workforces, really tick. As your host, I'm going to be doing just that on this podcast. Every week, I'll be speaking to a leading industry figure about their management philosophies and hope to tease out their tips and insights about what it means to run a successful business at scale. So without further ado, let's get straight into this episode. Today, we're speaking with Neil Cluley, Partner and Director of Consulting at Dragonfish UK. Dragonfish is a culture and performance consultancy which works with leaders in organisations with ambitious plans to transform culture and people performance. Previously, Neil was Global HR Director with Fitness First. Neil, welcome to Multisite Masters. Thank you for joining us. Uh, My pleasure. So we'll start with the important stuff. I know you've got two small kids. Have you started the Christmas shopping? Because we all know that the uh, popular toys (laughs) run out by sort of next week. Um, yeah, I, I have got organized this year for the first time in many years uh, through onla- online shopping as has uh, happened. The, uh, the distribution from, from the parents um, and the family has happened. So, um, so yeah, we're, we're, we're pretty organized this time. <laughs> did, you do, did you do your full um, Christmas shop online? Yeah, we've, we've done it. We've done it. Yeah, for the first time, um, I, I am one of those... Um, uh, those shoppers that um, uh, you know has got more organised, you know, using a, a mix of retailers online, um, and yeah, we've actually got our family organised as to who's buying what this year. So yeah, we're 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 pretty good. There's still some last minute bits um, that we'll go, you know, back out to the stores for uh, in the in the lead up to Christmas, but the bulk of it's done. How about yourself? Wow, I'm, I'm impressed by your organisations. Sim- I was about to say similar, but that would be a total lie, lie actually. I mean, sim- similar as in I've attended to my uh, my wife's Christmas needs, but actually uh, mum and dad and, and significant others, um, no, that would be a mad dash at the end. So I remain a true omni-channel man. <laughs> as that, actually, interesting, it sort of sums up, just that, that minute sums up the change going on on the high street, doesn't it? And um, most people, I know you've got a new mission now, but a lot of people will know you as uh, one of the main HR strategy men at, at Fitness First. I don't know if that's gone through the same sort of structural changes as the retail landscape, but fascinated to know, just to, just to kick off, what, what are your opinions on how member organisations can um, can learn from the changing face of retail? Do you think there's anything that... that, that um, fitness and leisure organizations could pick up? Yes, definitely, most definitely. I, I, the key areas re- <clears throat> really are around um, uh, the different channels and how smart retailers are becoming around the customer data that they have, the uh, personalized experience and comms that you get these days, and uh, inviting you and connecting with you in different ways for the reasons to come in store and when in store really really counts and making it you know a valuable experience so um so yeah i think the member organizations can learn a lot from how sophisticated um retailing and um and hospitality have become in particular um through you know having more digital platforms and better data and insights are they, um, are they getting are they getting better at that neil they, they are, but I think um, uh, you know. I think com- 
talking from a fitness perspective, I think there are some great digital innovations happening, but they're not necessarily joined up to the kind of in-the-box and the out-of-box experience, you know, connecting with members at home. And I think some of the retailers and hospitalities find better better ways. They're, they're more advanced in, in how they're doing that. So actually, the, the member organizations have a phenomenal amount of data, but they're not necessarily using it as well as they could be. So I think it's one of the – they have – if they get these these other channels right, using the data they've got, they could actually do a huge amount. So uh, it's one of the key areas I see uh, that the member organisations could learn from. That's really interesting. Where do you think they lead the pack? Um, I think it's in connections. Um, so it's uh, it's building relationships um, on every visit. Um, it, it's getting to know uh, customers, members, at a deeper level, face to face, it's through, uh, yeah, through those those emotional connections that you get by having people repeatedly visit, you know, a number of times a week or even a number of times a month, where you can create a, a deeper bond um, with those um, with those customers. I think you know we see it particularly in, you know, thinking back to my fitness first time, that the bond and, and loyalty that you've got between a personal trainer or a group exercise instructor and a customer member is is very intimate it, you know they they know each other very well and there's a lot of trust and and there's a lot of loyalty there and i think um uh it's an opportunity for retail and hospitality to find more personal ways of connections not just you know based on your data and your um your transactional behavior but actually, you know, how do you start to, you know, make sure you remember people, you get to know what's important to them in their lives and what that product or service means for them. You know, I, I think member industry, members, member organizations have, have got good at that. It's a, it's a natural strength. It's what they're all about. It's funny you should say that. So full disclosure, I'm a Fitness First member, as you know. And one of the things I was really impressed by and certainly been impressed by in the last, I think, 18 months, two years was the introduction of this um, Beat Studio. So for listeners yeah. that don't know, the Beat Studio is a, um, I guess, almost, uh, I mean, I think of it as a cost effective alternative to personal training. I don't know what you, how you would describe it, Neil, but effectively you get a heart rate monitor strapped on you. You log into a, to a system. There's this big... Yeah screen up on the wall that shows where your heart rate is and and then there'll be a group of anywhere between five and sometimes 20 of you being led to a quite an intense or can be intense um depends on the class you're entering but circuit training sessions to help you hit Mm. certain fitness objectives and the reason i like that so much is i I, i'm i'm too i'm too cheap and lazy to have to to invest in a, a consistent personal trainer three four days a week but i do want to be fit and healthy and so the fact that that service came wrapped in my membership fee meant that I basically was more inclined to go and then stay. And of course, the, the, the instructors leading that class would get to know you and would give you almost a sort of halfway house to a personal training experience. I'd love to know what what the, what was the thought that went into that from the business side? Yeah, uh, <clears throat> so very much it was a con- concept development. We've taken the principles of that and applied them into the design of um, uh, lot, lots of different clubs across the, the Fitness First group. But yeah, the, the thinking was about um, uh, deeper connections. It was helping um, members with their motivation. So um, <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> the reasons that people join are not the reasons people necessarily, necessarily stay. So it's, it's one of these 
um, uh, cycles that the industry needs to, to, to sort of better understand. And what we said about it, we called, you know, cracking the motivation code was the, uh, the, the goal. And, and we brought in expertise to help us understand behavioral psychology, exercise, uh, habits and patterns, the difference between intrinsic, extrinsic motivation. And the concepts like that were really about, um, uh, yeah, just deeper connections with people, sense of progress, autonomy, choice, um, all were going to help people um, with their uh, their intrinsic motivation. And and it's a sense of community as well. That, you know, the social kind of relatedness or connectedness is is a key reason that people feel like they belong, they're part of a movement, and it's something to talk about. Um, they're with others. It's a social bond that's connected. And back to the point about... Um, deeper relationships, uh, connections with team members, with customers or members, it's it's something to talk about. You can then get into a different conversation. It's less superficial and it's more, uh, you know, data-led, um, uh, but it opens up a, a, a more personal uh, relationship or conversation. It's so interesting. I've never thought about this before. Sorry for my famous lack of... Uh preparation or going off piece but what you've got me thinking there is when I go to restaurants these days actually I could I could go with any one of three different personas so sometimes I might go wanting to just cut loose with you know colleagues or a customer or friends and won't be at all sort of um, calorie or probably even particularly expense conscious other times other times I'll go to a restaurant where actually I just wanted to eat for convenience and don't want to come out feeling guilty of having consumed 4,000 calories. And if I'd come out having um, not successfully navigated that, that dining experience healthily, I might very well not go back. And it's just interesting to think about um, the role of customer service and uh, assistance in, in something like the restaurant sector now, where actually they're increasingly thinking not just about the transaction value for that specific meal, but the lifetime customer value of that customer returning, having got what they wanted from the experience. Um, which yeah. might not be a belly full of, you know, fried chicken and, uh, and beer each time. Um, yeah. So being able to intelligently work a customer through the menu based on their needs, not just on the immediate margin preference of the organization is quite an interesting theme. Have you given any any thought to some of those sort of parallels from the, the member community into, into restaurants and, and specifically how that affects people um, recruitment and training? Yeah, for sure. I, I think the key is <clears throat> getting to know your members and segmenting them in a way that um, uh, that the teams can understand and connect with. So, um, oh, that's interesting. I think, I, yeah, I think a lot of segmentation is obviously uh, applied for acquisition, and not not it's not used enough, or or it gets into the too difficult box in terms of executing differentiation through segmentation into service for. Um, uh, for for retention ultimately and and improving lifetime value, uh, and I think it is that trade off of uh, trying to trying to achieve consistency with a brand experience. Uh, we know that loyalty to brands is 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 getting tougher and tougher to achieve, um, but we also know the winners are have an authentic experience. The teams are aligned to that um, brand purpose or organisational purpose set of values and behaviors um, that they that they see as being authentic and they connect with. So it's about collective brand experience or position, but then there's applying the lens of 
we've got different types of customers using us in different ways. And I think, you know, the journey I, you know, I saw Fitness First going on and, and was a big part of was was what is what are the best ways of understanding the differences in our customers and it's not just spend it's not just visitation it's it's about um the psychometrics if you like or the the you know the psychographics the psychometrics it's all the different um behavioral dimensions or attitudinal drivers you know whatever you want to call it. you know so many different ways of slicing your segmentation so so we got to a place where we were looking at confidence in the gym we're, you know, higher or lower, and then we were looking at your goal orientation, where you big picture goals, like I just want to, you know, uh, stay healthy, um, be fit for life, or more detailed goals, and you'll see people tracking, setting short goals and targets, and then the, the last area is probably, you know, primary motivation, you know, is it about well-being, is it about appearance, or a bit of both, so, so we worked on set, finding a way of breaking down segmentation that could be actionable. So yes, it would help with our comms and our acquisition, but then could be actionable by our teams, but not come away from the fact that we had one collective brand experience. So we're, we're, we're strong to that, that this is what we're here for, this is what we're about, but we're also um, tailoring the experience to the different needs. As, you know, that's, 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 as, that's, as we can. Yeah, I mean... That's fascinating because what you're describing is almost a kind of a, a triage, I, I, I guess. I mean, how mm. um, do you have to hire a different or retain a different type of frontline colleague to be able to effectively execute a, a sort of a triage process under the umbrella of a coherent brand story? Because I, I would imagine that that requires quite a lot of emotional intelligence, doesn't it? And, and, and commitment to understanding slightly yeah. more nuanced value set. Yeah, yeah, I think it does. I think, you know, for us, it was shifting the profile of teams at fitness first from people who are who are passionate about fitness um which was you know was great it was the the sort of legacy um uh, strength in the organization and culture to but it wasn't necessarily helping us connect with different types of people and the reason that people might stay with us and be loyal to us so uh and offering something different in terms of out you know the outcome of confidence in life confidence to go further in life and a more compelling difference that we could make so we needed to shift from people who are into fitness into people that were into helping others um but had an interest in fitness and it's a but it's a subtle but very important difference come back to your question it, it is about um higher on uh, it's that classic um higher on attitudes and train for skills so higher on attitudes and, and behavior I mean, it's, it's, it's such an interesting concept. So I think about something like um, fashion retailing. You could, it would be very tempting to hire people that are incredibly fashion conscious, but actually for a scale brand that wants to satisfy and delight millions of customers, it might be more appropriate to have people that are fashion savvy, but actually more interested in delighting customers in terms of their own apparel needs, which might not necessarily, which might be comfort, for example, more, more than uh, wearing yeah. something hot off, hot off the runway. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, and I think in in retail as well, it's that uh, efficiency, sort of respecting people's time, um, connecting with how they might have experienced the product um, online or in, through other channels, what comms have they had, and connecting them within that within that moment. So uh, it's it's judgment skills, it's um, uh, putting themselves in customers' shoes. But as you say, you know maybe it's it's not necessarily about being 
you know, a fashion, uh, just passionate about fashion. It's, it is about passionate about connecting with, with people in that moment and connecting with what it, you know, uh, what's going on in that customer's, customer's life at that moment. Well, I mean, it's interesting because people talk about the productivity crisis in multi-site environments. Uh, yeah. Most often they talk about retail and hospitality, but I suspect it applies more broadly than that. Um, actually, yeah. as we move to more experiential economy and this sort and requiring this sort of care and attention at the front line, you can see how um, actually that might well end. We might have fewer but better jobs in multi-site environments where people need to be able to exercise these skills. What I'd love to pick your brains on now, Neil, is talking about how some of these concepts apply globally, because I know a big part of your your work um, has been building, maintaining, motivating teams on on a global basis. And to what extent extent have you learned, um, or how much have you learned from building and running global teams? What what are the opportunities and challenges of, of scaling beyond a single nation? Yeah, I, I would say number one is, um, you know, collaboration. So it's um, giving giving people, concentrating on the outcome um, that we're looking for, not the process and the tools. Um, so get people aligned on the outcome. You know, what does success look like? I think that's number one. Because um, you normally find this, there's more common ground there than how to get it done. Um, <clears throat> so that's that, that's number one. And I think still too many uh, organizations try to get people aligned on the process rather than, than the outcome. So, so I, I certainly learned the hardware at times, but the, the more you can get people talking about what success looks like, imagining that future, what's going to help it, what's going to hinder it, um, and flushing out the differences of, of opinion about why that change is the right change, um, the more successful change will will be. So so yeah, number one is collaboration. Now, number two, I think it's not being too precious about the <clears throat> the final version of tools. I think you you've, you if you can move quickly in a global environment, then you'll you'll get you'll stay ahead and you'll be able to add value to the speed that an individual market might be going in. So I think it's picking a few things that you do very well but also not being precious about the final output. So I, I, I had a principle when I was at Fitness First, which was let's get the tool eight, 70 or 80% of the way there, um, but really embrace that last 20, 30% of the shaping of it being local to that culture, that environment, and that sense of ownership on the ground. So um, we use our efficiency, we use our, our scale, but um, I don't try and achieve 99% or 100% in the tools allows some flexibility and, and local ownership, and it just allows you to move quicker as well. And you often find that you start an idea, but already the markets jump to the solution themselves, and and you can be out of date. So I think you you have to move fast these days, and um, fast with the right compromise with local ownership kind of ticks that box. That's really interesting. Does does being private equity backed help or hinder that process of being fleet of foot and and, and um, allowing uh, delegations happen at the most local levels or, or is the sheer pressure that you're under from institutional ownership sort of does it run contrary to that I'm curious because so many multi-site businesses are private equity owned yeah. these days yeah I, I, I embrace what, what that brings I enjoy it um, I think in terms of speed in terms of the tension of short-term performance and 
um, medium term, medium to longer term value creation. I, th- I think um, uh, it's a healthy tension to make quicker decisions, to get things done, um, but you have to work hard on alignment. So I think um, there are risks sometimes around changes being poorly implemented or you move on to the next big big idea too quickly um, and that can leave people feeling a bit sort of uh, having initiative overload. Um, I think that can be one of the symptoms of um, uh, being private owned, trying to, you know, create longer term value but drive performance quickly. So, uh, I think it's doing, being smart about choosing the right things to go after and doing those incredibly well. That's that's one of my big reflections uh, and embracing what it does bring in terms of pace, speed, the, the the need for clarity. And I think a huge opportunity for multi-sites now is to understand alignment in their organizations. You know, what how aligned are the leadership team with the a more fluid different shape of workforce that we have today um and custom the alignment between customers brand and your people as well i i think that's where there's huge opportunity um uh and uh you know particularly when you've got a financial model in the background a product a financial model in the background to perform to that's interesting. I mean, is that is that one of the trends that led you to to join Dragonfish as a partner and director of consulting? Do, do do you anticipate much of your much of your work over the coming period relating to helping people drive stakeholder alignment if they've had changes of ownership or or potential future changes? Yeah, it's it's, it's the area of culture and performance that interests me greatly. I I I think there's a huge opportunity for organisations to find huge efficiency gains and be more agile to market changes and the the unsort of certain landscape that we've got in front of us and some of the kind of macro <laughs> right. challenges that we've got. So I, 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 I'm, I certainly know that CEOs I talk to um, and CFOs increasingly are understanding that culture is, is going to be a key area for them to understand. I think I've been frustrated that uh, cultures often are t- talked about with too many intangibles and it, it needs to be um, better understood the, the relationship between behavior, uh, performance, behavior alignment and performance in your organization. And uh, and I, I really see the shift. You know, the annual engagement surveys had its day. We need to move beyond um, annual engagement surveys. Real-time engagement is is now key to understand in a multi-site service business connected to your so that alignment between your 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 customer experience and your employee experience needs to be better understood on a real-time basis. But then stepping back from it and saying how healthy is our is our culture? How well aligned are we? Where 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 can we improve that? And how will that prepare us for? Um, you know, we'll deliver short-term improvements, but also prepare us to make the most of market opportunities, medium to longer term. So I think, yeah, culture's becoming more better understood. And, and no matter what people want to work, uh, people are increasingly at all levels want to work in an environment where the purpose and values are well-defined and real and delivered. And if, if organizations don't respond to that, they just won't be able to attract and retain talent. I could not agree more. Neil, if, if listeners want to get in touch with you to talk a little bit more in, in, in detail on a one-to-one basis about some of these ideas, how can they do so? 
Yeah, so I, I'm I'm a big fan of LinkedIn. So please get in touch with me on LinkedIn. I love to connect with people and and share um, things that we're working on and things that I'm seeing um, from from talking to various people like yourselves and 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 out there. So LinkedIn's great, and they can email me at dragonfish. Um, you know, Niall Cluley at dragonfishuk.com um, or visit the website, but. Yeah, LinkedIn, and I'm getting there with Twitter now as well. So I'm trying to share a lot more on on, on Twitter, but um, uh, those are probably the best the best channels. I'm glad you're getting down with the kids. We'll we'll um, we'll put your contact details in the show notes. I'm sure that um, I've found the conversation fascinating. I'm sure many others have too. Neil, thank you so much for investing the time. Um, good luck with the remainder of the Christmas shopping. Have a fantastic December. Thank you very much. Thanks again to Neil Cluley partner and director of consulting at Dragonfish UK. We hope you enjoyed our show. If you have any feedback or would like to feature or suggest someone to feature on an upcoming episode, we'd love to hear from you. You can get in touch via the website, multisitemasters.co.uk. That's M-U-L-T-I-S-I-T-E masters, all one word, .co.uk, where you can sign up for email updates and you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at multisitemaster. That's it for now. I hope to see you back here soon when I'll be joined by my next multi-site master.